Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmel. I'm my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Uh, concerned, Faisal. Yeah. Yeah, concerned. Um, I'm a Ukrainian, right? So uh, it is not fun to watch this happening. I'm multi-generation Canadian, so I don't have any direct family uh, there. But uh, listen, I feel for what's happening. Yeah. It is, it is a tough, tough <clears throat> uh, time in history right now. Um, and there are so many different emotions that are happening uh, that would cause people to have a lot of concern. Mm. Um, what we're seeing out there, let's speak from an economic and markets perspective. We're, we're not experts in the humanitarian side. We're not mm-hmm. experts in the military side. But let's talk about what's happening, the economics and the markets for now. And on this show, um, there's a lot of concern. And that's why we're going to have a guest coming in talking about Russia, Ukraine, and what what they believe to be the next steps that are going to probably come out of this. Um, that's going to be tough to, to hear, but it's going to be important that we understand. Yep. And then we're also going to talk about um, this uh, new retirement, a freelance retirement. We'll talk about that mm. and how people can uh, still enjoy their retirement while still having uh, participation in the, in the freelance world. Right. Well, use your skill sets, economically benefit from that, and... And travel if you want, right? You can do it anywhere in the world. So you can do a, it all. A cool. Yeah, you, you can, can do it all. That's right. That's a good, that's a great point. And so I think this is going to be a very <laughs> interesting show. When you look at what's happened with this conflict of Russia, Ukraine, when the markets were notified of the attacks or the invasion, mm-hmm. um, Europe considerably down three, four percent. Asia was down three, four percent. And I'm speaking of Thursday, Thursday, right? Yep. Um, the, Amer- the American and Canadian markets were down 2 3%, depending on which index you're referring to, and then came back up positive. And rallied, yeah. Friday morning, positive. What, what happened there? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So we did a lot of research on, on previous conflicts, all the way back to World War II. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's lots of different ways to slice and dice the data, right? But what you see is, generally speaking... Um, Geopolitics and economics can be different things. And the research, depending on the conflict you were looking at, um, on average, the financial markets responded quite sharply, but pretty quickly uh, in most cases to whatever geopolitical event it might be in. And you had World War II in there, and we, you know, 9 11. Contra, 9 11, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Gulf War I, Gulf War II, the invasion of Afghanistan from Russia, all these different uh, events that have happened. Some that were where U.S. was the aggressor, some where they were they were actually being a, the attacked, recipient yeah, or attacked terrorism, on, and some that yeah. they weren't even involved in initially, and yep. then had to get involved after. Yeah. All these different scenarios, they are generally short-lived. Right. Right. Generally, less than twelve months. Right. Um, and then the recovery of the markets after that. The concern here, of course, is this could go to war. This could go to world war. Will we start to see superpowers? fight superpowers right. in this in this next round. Right. It's on the table. I don't know how much of a high probability we're giving this. I don't think anybody wants that. Right. I don't think it, it benefits any one country to have this massive war. But what I, I, I have been taught when I first started in this 
in this business <clears throat> 25 years ago to now, never bet on the end of the world. Well, the concept of people right. having this extreme thought that the world is coming to an end and they're looking at their investments as the first thing. <laughs> right. Do not bet on the end of the world. Right. That's number one. That's what I've learned over the 25 years. But what I've also learned is that not everything that happens right away is going to be an impact for the future. Mm -hmm. So understand what you're investing in. Yeah. Understand why you're there. And don't just uh, bury your head in the sand, hope it goes away. Understand why you are, or hire the right people that can understand that for you. Yeah, now take out Russia, Ukraine, and just introduce the word uncertainty, because that's what hits the markets, whatever yeah. the problem is, uncertainty. And uncertainty creates both uh, risks, but it also creates opportunities. Yep. Right, and, and I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that. Again, I'm only speaking financially of the financial markets. I'm, you know, uh, as a Ukrainian, there's a whole different set of conversations that we could, uh, we could have. Uh, but the, the point is you have to remain uh, dynamic mm -hmm. and flexible and uh, look around where the opportunities and where to protect against, right? Because the markets are going to respond as it always does to uncertainty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in many cases, emotionally and irrationally. So let's go through what happened on <clears throat> Thursday, initial in the morning. Markets start to fall hard in North America from basically what's happening in Europe and Asia. Um, somewhere around middle of the day on Thursday, Biden comes out and says, we're going to host a whole bunch of sanctions. They did not put sanctions on oil production. They did not uh, stop the Russians from receiving any kind of payment for, for money right. with, with the, the SWIFT system. The financial system, system yeah. Uh, but they did put sanctions on four of their, their uh, largest banks. One trillion dollars of money transactions happen through those, uh, uh, those four financial institutions every single year. They did go after some of the elite and uh, start giving them sanctions. They did bring out some technology and so forth. And the markets are to go, okay, good. We've got some control here. But it's not going to stop. And we saw that on Friday. It didn't stop the Russians from continuing to do what they were doing. Right. So now comes the next round. So you're you're basically saying, I'm going to slap you. And then after I'm done slapping, I'm going to punch you. And then after I punch you, what comes next? Right. 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 Are we going to get into a full fight here? Right. And that's where we are. So this was a slap initially. When does it turn into a punch? Right. And what does that punch really mean? Is it going to be sanctions on oil production? Right. Like, we'll just say, you know, we're all going to bite the bullet. We're all going to pay for this. And we're going to stop this. Is that what these governments are going to do? And then the backside of that is, well, if all this conflict, maybe interest rates are not going to be um, as uh, rising as fast as we thought because of this conflict. Right. So let's price it out a little bit different. Let's not get so aggressive. Maybe it's not going to be seven times that we're going to raise interest rates in the U.S. It might be three or four now. Right. And you saw banks under pressure there. You see oil coming. So this is the, the dynamic nature of it. And it's going to be driven by the headlines, Faisal. You and I both know that, right? Whatever headline seems to dominate on any given day yeah. is going to dominate the mood and the trading in the market. And so there is the, the opportunity, right? Is it's going to be moving and, and adjusting and so on and so forth. So you got, you're going to have to be active, right? As an investor, you're going to have to remain active. You're going to have to stay on top of this stuff. You're going to have to look for where you want to protect, shift assets out of there and move it to areas where you think you can uh, benefit. Absolutely. But be dynamic. You know, Faisal, uh, we, we talk about this often, and it's also a dream of yours and mine, right? To, to be able to live internationally, not just travel, not just go on a vacation, but to live internationally. The question is, in retirement, can you combine your skill sets with this idea of freelancing and this notion of living abroad or, you know, having 
experiencing that dream that you're in. You know, when you look at our parents' retirement, Dave, it was work for mm -hmm. 30 years, and then when you retire, you stay at home, rocking chair, yep. front porch, don't do, don't do much. Right. Um, it's changed. It's called a new retirement. And so really, what is that new retirement? How does it work? How do you make that become yep. a reality? Yeah. We better bring the, the guests <laughs> on our show because not only is he wearing an avocado shirt, he's living the dream, <laughs> right? Like he's living the dream. I love the shirt. Winton Churchill, author, International Living. Winton, thank you for joining us today. Great. Thanks. Uh, good to be here. I love the shirt. Too bad the people on radio and podcast can't, can't see it, but uh, it's a fantastic shirt. It makes me want to get out of this winter area in Calgary, <laughs> get on the West Jet and fly out to Mexico. <laughs> so walk us through. What is the new retirement? Okay. The new retirement is taking skills that you already have, considerable skills that baby boomers and people 50 plus and the people that you help with their portfolios and their investments and their assets and and, and you know, part of it is putting all that together and, and stabilizing your life and then taking these skills into online marketplaces. And two years ago, most people had no idea what I was talking about in terms of online freelancing, working for home. And the last two years, we've had quite the lesson on that. I mean, there's hardly a person that didn't work for home in the last two years. And the, the important thing that I've found in the 14 years that I've been helping other people do this sort of thing is you, you want to pay attention to the skills you have because they are in demand. There are freelance buyers looking for people, 50 plus baby boomers, who uh, this is not their first rodeo. They, they get the big picture. They know how to show up on time. They've had decades of experiences uh, honing those skills. And the, the traditional view of sort of the, the nomad uh, uh, digital warrior is, is one who's jumping up on zip lines with their shirt off and all that kind of stuff. That's not us. But we got skills. We, we, we have, you know, as uh, I like to say, I've got shoes older than uh, people that are freelancers now. And uh, so uh, the, the thing we want to do is jump right in, get the ball rolling, and, and take all those well-honed skills, figure out which ones are online because making buggy whips are, are not uh, you know financially lucrative anymore. But there are things like doing PowerPoint presentations, doing proofreading, lots of school teachers very easily do a few hours of proofreading a week and put an extra few hundred dollars into their, uh, their bank account. And as you know, when somebody hits retirement age, Having the ability to bring in uh, assets uh, is great. You know, to, to push off that time, they have to tap their retirement uh, assets is really important. And uh, just the comfort that that provides, uh, also keeping your brain engaged is a very important thing. I've, I've, I've seen this in my own life that, uh, you know, people that have a plan and are kind of engaged in something and it doesn't have to be freelancing, but freelancing is a good thing to keep your brain engaged and has the added advantage of providing some money. So that's what we encourage people to do and have been doing that for, for uh, over 14 years now. Winton, we've talked to a lot of our clients when they're transitioning to retirement. One of the things they talk about is maybe this, this phased approach and part of it might be going to less of a full-time, maybe part-time 
and, and looking at opportunities to still supplement their cash flow, like you were saying. Let's give some of our viewers and listeners some ideas of what their skill sets can be used because most people think oh, when I'm done, I'm done, or right. I'm done and then I can go to become a consultant, which still requires a lot more hours than what you're describing. So we talked about a school teacher doing proofreading. Let's think of some other industries uh, and, and professions that they can transfer their skill set into this, what we call now the gig economy. Right. A lot of people uh, in what we used to call white collar sort of work would be the ones that would know how to use PowerPoint, for example. And helping people put together PowerPoint presentations is a big thing. And it's funny, most of us lived in it that are my age. You know, I lived in PowerPoint for the last 25 years, 30 years. And but uh, the younger group of freelancers doesn't really understand PowerPoint. So that would be an example Another example is customer service, and most people react to customer service like, well, I don't want to sit on a phone all day and answer phone calls. It is not that anymore. It's engineers who answer basically emails or customer service tickets about complex uh, technical problems, for example, that kind of thing. So the more uh, you can bring what we call a domain of knowledge, like if you're an engineer, that's a domain of knowledge. If you're a uh, in a certain industry, like say the pharmaceutical industry, that's a domain of knowledge. And then if you have a skill set over here, that's like PowerPoint or the ability to explain things to people. I mean, we've all had that experience of trying to get a hold of support and just not getting uh, a very satisfactory results. But what we do is look to line up all those things so they intersect. And that's where somebody can maximize their earning, be most productive, and most satisfied. And most of the people we work with are looking to make uh, to work uh, 20 to 30% of the time. It's that person that, that is easing out of something they're doing already. They're moving into something that's, uh, uh, you know, the, the new retirement and they want to make that transition. So what we encourage people to do is to start now, uh, figure this stuff out, learn about these job and project networks, which is essential because the number one challenge with being a freelancer is where do my clients come from? And on these job and project networks, there's over 500,000 individual assignments available every day from give me some advice on how to develop a curriculum, which teachers are great at, to proofread this document, to make this PowerPoint, to I want to talk to a financial manager about what I'm doing. And all of that is out there, uh, available, and it's a single place where you log in. So you're not, you know, going to Chamber of Commerce meetings with Wetty palms and new business cards trying to convince somebody to do something with you you're going in and and you're looking at somebody says this is the job i need done tell me what your qualifications are and tell me what price you'll do it for and the when you come up with a price some people say well i used to make 50 bucks an hour when i was working well that's that's cool but now you know if you could make 30 bucks an hour and sit at your dining room table and do it on your schedule would that be worth it you know you don't have to have the second car you don't have to have gas prices which you know we're we're all seeing a, a bump in that and uh, uh and it's a hedge against inflation because when you do these jobs 
on these networks, you're doing them sort of at market price today. And if you've been working for a company, you get an annual review and they say, you know, the company's having a really tough time, which a lot of them have, and we can't afford a raise. But if you're doing this kind of work, you can get a raise because you're bidding on new jobs at the market price today rather than what somebody thought they should hire you at a year ago. So uh, in a nutshell, we do uh, two-day seminars on this stuff, but that's the nutshell version. Winton, thank you very much. I think you've raised some awareness here. We're quickly running out of time. Uh, we may have to follow up on this because I think there's going to be uh, there's going to be some significant interest on that. I want to I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day just to just just to share some information about this and raise the awareness that people do have skill sets that are transferable and you can you can work anywhere in the world. Winton, really quickly, how does someone uh, enroll in your workshop if they wanted to? Uh, they go to internationalliving.com and they look under the conferences and it's all over there. It's our, our next conference in St. Louis at the end of uh, uh, April, uh, April 22nd through the 24th. And we'll be doing everything soup to nuts for people that want to get started with this. We'll be there uh, uh, walking them through the process and making sure that they leave on Sunday night ready to start freelancing. The number one topic on everybody's mind right now is what's happening with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, certainly there's a humanitarian issue, uh, there's economic potential impacts, and then how far does this go, Faisal, is really becoming a bigger and bigger question and concern for many people. And, and it's, it's spreading beyond Ukraine. Mm -hmm. like it's not just an impact in that region. It goes beyond that. But let's kind of get a sense of what the issues are and what are some of the solutions to right. this problem at the end of the day, we want to, of course, bring in our guest, Eric Miller, President Rideau, uh, Potomac Strategy Group and fellow Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Bring him along. Eric, thank you for joining us today. Thanks you. Thank you very much for having me. Eric, we've got 10 minutes to try to do justice to a very, very big concern. Maybe you can give us a sense uh, of where we are today with the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, and maybe just define what the problem is, the, the what we think the goals are that uh, Russia is trying to accomplish, and then we could talk about where we think some of the solutions to this particular problem may lay. Sure. Well, Russia at, at base is trying to relitigate the end of the Cold War. Uh, they really believe in their heart of hearts that Ukraine uh, is fundamentally linked to Russia and do not accept Ukrainian independence. And now they believe that they have the military means to assert uh, their view uh, on the people of Ukraine. Ukraine is a democratic country. It is a country that has increasingly been leaning to the West and moving out of the Russian sphere of influence. And to an ultra-nationalist like Vladimir Putin, that is something that is very, very worrisome. And so, in essence, what we're seeing is Putin making a bid to reestablish the Russian Empire, which, in his view, includes Ukraine as an integral member. Okay. Um Given, the, uh, given that particular set of goals or specific goal for, uh, for Russia, we're seeing this evolve and it's dynamic. So, you know, by the time this airs, it will have changed again. But maybe give us a sense of, of what we can expect over the course of the next coming, I don't know, days or weeks. Um, and then we'll get to solutions, uh, what we think the potential solutions may be. Sure. So... As of the time of recording, there has been a lot of fighting in Ukraine. Russian troops uh, were closing in on the outskirts of Kiev. 
the Ukrainians are putting up a fierce resistance, as we have seen, and as they have promised. You're starting to see also refugees uh, flowing from the central part of Ukraine uh, to Lviv and other uh, parts of the country and beyond into Western Europe. And so uh, the situation is, is bad in many respects for Ukrainians, and they have not faced uh, any resistance from the outside. So the Ukrainians are doing their best to fight street by street and uh, kilometer by kilometer to maintain their sovereignty. But against uh, a, a force of 100 plus thousand Russian troops, that's a very hard slog. There's a lot of impact on this because of a humanitarian side of it. There's also an economic impact to this. Um, when we look at where the world is trying to influence Russia to step back from this, they're trying to put in sanctions and so forth. Uh, we've also heard that there might be opportunities for a change in how the production levels of energy or oil production uh, being sanctioned there, uh, possibly the, uh, the financial system mm -hmm. called SWIFT and how money moves around there. Are these sanctions going to work without any military impact? Like, if can how much can can these governments do? Because at some point, it's going to impact themselves. And let me give you an example: if they cut the production, up goes the price of oil. That impacts inflation on the average person in North America, who's not even close to this this uh, this uh, issue. And so that's going to be a concern to them. How how does it become from sanction to solution, or is that does it have to be military at the end of the day? So. Fundamentally, let's let's talk about the sanctions and the energy piece. President Biden yesterday in his press conference excluded uh, energy from the sanctions. So in essence, Russia can still sell oil onto the world market. And Russia is the third largest energy producer. And so perversely, you're in this situation where the instability created by Russia is actually enriching Russia through higher petroleum prices. And so mm -hmm. there is no stop to to this if you want to i mean fundamentally my view is it's going to have to be military but there are a number of things that that you could look at uh, we have not seen any efforts by the uk to go after some of the assets of putin's closest friends uh, roman abranovich for example still owns chelsea fc uh, the russian uh, elite still own all of their homes in london there is no change in that situation, nor do I anticipate that there will be a change in that situation. Uh, and also on the oil front, yes, indeed, if you had put uh, a, an oil embargo, you would have taken a big number of barrels out of production and you would have seen the price skyrocket. But this goes back fundamentally to decisions that we made 10 years ago. Had the government of Barack Obama, of which uh, Joe Biden was vice president, not blocked the Keystone XL pipeline not blocked a lot of forward motion on energy infrastructure, had Energy East gone into place, we would have been in a situation where North America would have been much more self-sufficient and efficient in supplying its own energy needs. Oil is obviously a global commodity, and there would be an impact. But we have to also take a look back at our ability to get oil to market where it needs to be, and our ability to weather these sorts of storms. It's crazy that Eastern Canada is importing uh, half a million barrels a day from Russia uh, when it could be buying from Alberta or buying from other more secure sources. And so we're going to see this big impact. And at the end of the day, we have not put ourselves in this position where we're as resilient as we could be on the energy front. And of course, you're seeing skyrocketing prices on wheat, nickel, and a whole range of other commodities.
Eric, Eric we've, yeah. we've got a couple of minutes left before we have to go to commercial break. And unfortunately, we don't have all the time to talk about this subject in total. But I, if you were to walk us mm-hmm. through, in your view, the next three th- or four things that are going to happen that could either solve this issue or continue the conflict, what would you, what would you predict as the next three or four things that are going to happen? So fundamentally, we saw this morning the Russian foreign ministry issue a statement warning Finland and Sweden that are not members of NATO to, quote, not count on outsiders for their security, which is an implicit statement that Russia is threatening them. Uh, Russia has now taken the hit here, so they will be on the move trying to assert their authority not only over Ukraine, but you also have to think about the Baltic states and others in Europe who they can bully and, and push. The other piece that you've got to watch very closely is Taiwan, because if the government of China does not believe that the United States will come to Taiwan's aid, then they will face a very grave security situation. We had American hegemony and broadly Western hegemony for a long time, which kept a lot of these bad actors contained. And indeed, in 1990, we saw George H.W. Bush throwing Saddam Hussein out out of um, Kuwait. But we don't have that situation now. And so the bad actors with grudges are going to be able to do what they can until it gets to the point where the West will have to pull itself together and go and blunt this advance militarily. And you start not with ground troops, but frankly with air power. Well, it sounds like uh, this conflict um, is going to be with us for a little while. We're going to have to... uh, it's dynamic, as Eric, as you've said, as we've said, right? This is going to evolve, uh, and we will see how the negotiations uh, go. We hope it doesn't get to a full mil- military conflict, uh, but I guess that is unfortunately one of the potential outcomes. Okay. Eric, thank you. We've not been able to, uh, we don't have um, uh, enough time to do justice to this. What we might do is keep in touch uh, for sort of regular updates with you on, uh, on how things are evolving and how the potential solutions uh, are coming together. But we thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, Faisal, we've got a whole mix of things going on right now, um, and markets start out down this year. Okay, We see downward pressure on markets because of interest rate increases and inflation problems. Then we throw into the mix this whole Russia-Ukraine issue and the uncertainty around what this war is going to look like or grow into, and people are scared. Mm -hmm. What the heck do you do? So I've got a note here on my paper. I think I put it on yours as well. <laughs> let's talk about this, but let's do it without being overly technical in our language. Mm. Okay? Okay. So let's keep it simple. Okay. Okay. When we started out uh, this year, this calendar year, there was a couple of things in front of us that we were concerned about. Valuations of companies, what's the, what's the true value of them, R- interest rates going up, inflation. Yep. Those are the big ones. So... So we start looking at the market and say, okay, where's the opportunities to make money, but where do we have to protect ourselves? Mm-hmm. So the concept of having a lot of your money in the stock market with high volatility, that's a problem. Right. And many of the uh, portfolio managers out there, investment advisors out there, still had the view that markets are going to be great. So that's problem number one. The problem number two that came into play was this whole issue, Russia and Ukraine. Now, throughout the last, call it, eight weeks, what we have done is looked at the economic indicators and the non-conventional data that tells us where things are going. 
When I say non-conventional data, we look at stuff like online, what are Google searches and so forth that are happening. When I look at conventional data, we're looking at the economic numbers, we're looking at employment numbers, inflation numbers. And when we put them all together, the movements that we've made, we've made so much movement in the last eight weeks that the average advisor or the average money manager has done nothing but sit back and watch this thing fall. And I've seen the markets fall 10, 15, 20%, depending on which market you're referring to. And you're wondering, well, what the heck's going on here? Right. Well, we didn't take that approach to just sit in the market. We didn't take the approach to just hang in there and cross our fingers and hope it works out. We've been very active in our approach, moving literally percentages of money back and forth and moving it around um, between different sectors of the economy based on the data that we're receiving. Mm-hmm. What I find happening right now is people are reacting, and this is in our industry, forget about the investor, people in our industry are reacting to the news and then saying, this is our long-term view, we're just gonna buy ABC company and we're gonna ride it out forever with no exit strategy what's in place. So the number one thing I think that where we have an advantage is we have exit strategies. And I think if it is an investor, if you're doing it yourself, or if you're dealing with a money manager, ask them what the exit strategy is. In times like this with high volatility, you need to know what your exit strategy is. And I had a recent conversation with an individual who got upset that we took some profit. Yep. Why are you selling out of energy stock? Now, I didn't sell all of it, I just trimmed a bit. Right. Faisal, why are you doing this? Uh, I'm taking profit. Why would you take profit? It's gonna to continue to go up. Possibly, mm-hmm. possibly. Why wouldn't I take profit? Well, that's ridiculous. You're, so you want me to bet more and more money on an investment to continue to go up, and what if it doesn't? What's the, I'm adding more risk by having more of your money in that spot. Yeah. Takes profit. I have yet to meet someone that's gone broke taking profit. It's a structure and discipline issue, right? Thank you. And, and uh, I mean, thank you for going through the, this notion of being active and dynamic, and we talked about that the whole show. You've got to do it. But regardless of whether or not you're facing... Uh, you know, these kinds of issues that are on the table right now, uh, the structure and the discipline that you set up has to be very important, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I stressed it, um, I've stressed throughout the show and at the beginning that you, retirement is a different time of life, yes. right? And I'm going to take people back to the basics. You said we're not talking technical. We're going to talk plain English here. Um, there are some certain risks that pop up when you move into retirement that are very different when you're 30 and 40 years old and you're growing your wealth. Correct. Right? Because you have multiple goals and objectives you're trying to satisfy. We've talked about this forever. Yep. Nothing has changed about that, right? So to structure and discipline in terms of how you've got your portfolio established, uh, the certainty and security of an income bucket, okay, versus the volatility of risk assets, things like stocks and so on and so forth, this only accentuates the problem, mm-hmm. right? Anybody that's retired that's suffering through this right now is down whatever, 20% if you're NASDAQ or tech exposed right now, that's not the way you should be investing, typically for somebody who's retired. Why? Well, because you can't recover, right? If somebody takes a big beating on the downside and they need income and you have to sell assets in a down market, you create a mathematical problem for yourself that you don't, you can't recover the same way. You talk about this in our in our <clears throat> webinar we give to, to people about and try to educate them about the recovery rate. Right. Once you dig a hole, go through your example of when you dig a hole and you're falling, you dig more money out, how hard it is to recover. Right. 
So, you know, if you fall, let's take 20%. NASDAQ was down 21%. Let's just round it to 20%. 20% drop. 20% fall. I've got a $100 portfolio and it falls by 20%. Now I've got $80 of market value. And let's say I need some income. Okay? No. No, no. Let's actually pause. I don't even need income yet. The question I would ask our listening audience or viewing audience, depending on how you're you're seeing this, is what is the recovery rate you need on that 20% fall to get back to where you started? So let me go by a recap. We had $100. It went down to $80. Right. Now I'm at $80. What rate of return do I need to get back to even? $100. Right. I need 25% or, uh, or, or $20 on 80 right. to, to get back to 100 So I lose 20 I need 25 to get back up. Right. It's not linear. It's not linear. It, right. It's a 20 per, I need 20% more recovery than I did on my loss to get back, 25%. Correct. Right? So, so the problem gets compounded, Faisal, and you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. When I need income. Okay, so that's just for somebody who is in growth mode. So let's go through the same example, Dave. You're at $100, it falls 20%, you're down to $80, you take $10 out to spend and live your lifestyle because, hey, that's why you're retired. Right. Now you're at $70 to get back to $100. I need $30 of growth on 70 bucks. So over 40% return just to break even. Right. What ends up happening is called a sequence of returns and you start to go against your capital and you may never right. recover if you spend the same amount of money year in, year out. $10 Correct. in our example every year. The problem with that is you will either have to substantially change your lifestyle yes, or B, run out of money. Yeah. yeah Both they're, are terrible. They're, no, they're not, they're, not, they're not good options. And so the recovery <clears throat> rate is very important that you're talking about. And I'm glad that you're addressing this and we're trying to keep it as simple as possible. There's so much technical stuff we can cover on this. But remember, you don't have time on your side like you did when you were 30. Right. A 20% drop when you're 30, you don't need the money in your RRSPs as an example. Let it ride. Right. You've got the ability to take on that. You've got time on your side. And you've got money coming in, in many cases, new savings coming in. Correct. So you're buying at a lower price. You can dollar cost average, right? Right. So when you're 60, 65, 70 years yeah. of age, how do you take these types of drops? Well, you, 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 it's very... Listen, I, I've shared my, uh, my family's personal experiences with this particular problem, and I can, I've seen it firsthand, right, how this can affect a retirement. And you have to adjust your retirement style, uh, sorry, your investment style as you move to this period of retirement. You can't take a growth mentality to uh, a pure growth mentality to retirement. You still need growth in retirement, I'm not saying that. But you've got these other complexities that can materially destroy a retirement, an estate gift. I mean, there's so many implications yeah. here. Can I, can I just touch <clears throat> on that example we just talked about? You're at $100, the markets fall, your portfolio falls 20%, you're down to $80. You take ten dollars out to, yep. s- to spend. You're down to seventy dollars just to break even. You gotta you gotta make up over forty percent return. To, yeah. If the markets are growing at let's say seven seven percent a year after that, right? The recovery rate is five six years. Yeah, or maybe yeah, it's between four and six depending on the right? compounding, right? So if you're at that, think about what we just said there. You could lose five to six years worth of time because of your portfolio construction. Right. Let that sink in. Right, and that's the structure, (laughs) 
that we talk about, right? Structure and discipline are important, particularly at this stage. We don't have the, <clears throat> the ability to take big hits. Right. Because the recovery time is so long that you may not be able to recover. Yeah. And, and Faisal, I want to stress that you know, when we're talking about this stuff, we're talking about sort of income and growth. But there's other things that you can, you're concerned about in retirement, right? And health is an asset class that we talk about all the time. So not, not as you just compound an income, potential income problem, if you're structured inappropriately, but what happens if you have um, needs, healthcare needs mm -hmm. as you age, mm -hmm. which I got to tell you, almost everybody is going to have, yep. okay? Many of which will require financial uh, assets or, or, or cash or something. You'll be to, paying out of pocket. Right. And then there's an effect further on the legacy bucket. So I, I'm, I know I'm not going to go into all the details of that stuff and, and get technical because we're not trying to do that. But the point is there's so many different objectives that we've got to hit mm -hmm. that its structure becomes important. Let's say you want to go learn about all the objectives. You want to learn about how you have mutually exclusive goals with a limited amount of money that you've saved, whatever that amount is, that you have to have yep. a structure and discipline to bulletproof your retirement we're going to discuss that at our upcoming webinar on Tuesday, March 29th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. On behalf of Faisal, myself, Dave, thanks very much for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. We'll see you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.